everyone! You may have noticed that this is not, in fact, us talking about Lysistrata Jones. So, long story short, our team has been bonkers busy with a bunch of different creative projects that you'll hear about today, and we decided we wanted something that was a little bit easier on our brains. So, don't worry if you were looking forward to us talking about the show, we will get to it eventually, but until then, enjoy today's episode on Disaster. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast that Leslie Nielsen doesn't want you to hear. No. It's Monkeys and Playbills <laughs> with Paul DeGurse, Jillian Willems, and a very special guest, Miss Stephanie Sy. <laughs> I guess that would have already played. No, we like to hear it a second time from our guests. Absolutely. That's the only unfortunate <laughs> yeah. thing about actually being on the podcast. I don't get to hear the music. No, nope, mm-hmm. you don't. Mm-hmm. In real time. No. I'm sure there are going to be other awful things that happen, but that's right now the worst thing. For those of you just joining us right now, this is a show where we talk about Broadway musicals that have had 100 performances or fewer on Broadway, not counting previews. And what the heck happened? And today, we're here to talk about Seth Rudetsky's disaster, <laughs> exclamation mark, on Broadway. If I had a dollar for every musical that had an exclamation mark in its name, (laughs) in its title, we would all be bazillionaires. Well, what else? On your feet. On your feet. Fela. Oh, yeah, Fela. Uh, Strike. I don't know. (laughs) Strike. (laughs) Amazingly wonderful, like, world-renowned musical Strike, of course. Absolutely. (laughs) Winnipeg favorite Strike. So this show... We're all so quiet right now because yeah. we don't even know where to begin. So why don't we begin with the dates and yes. then we'll just try to <laughs> just try to make some sense of this thing. <laughs> so previews began at the Nederlander Theater on February 9th, 2016. Uh, it opened on March 8th, 2016 and closed on May 8th, 2016 after 32 previews and 72 performances. Not at all the worst we've covered... By a long shot. But surprisingly not incredible for a show that has this much Broadway star power. Right. Yes. This has the most Broadway stars of any show we're ever going to cover. It's just absurd how many people who, if you live in New York, are like inside jokes are in this show, you know? (laughs) Should we play the synopsis game, Steph and uh, Paul? I'd love for you to play it together. Oh, I'm so glad that Steph is here to play this with me. We've been... Uh, filming a piece, a bunch of pieces, a project for the Village Conservatory right now. And Mm -hmm. Steph's also been in rehearsals for a really incredible project at Prairie Theatre Exchange. All of this to say, I watched this show in like three chunks, (laughs) like in the morning before going to work each day. (laughs) I think between, between Steph and I, we might be able to champ out a full plot synopsis and figure out what's going on. Okay. Whenever you're ready, good luck, go. People in New York. Roger Bart owns a casino. Um, he's also a gross dude. Yes. Uh, is having uh, like a grand opening trip situation. Yeah. And yeah. there are a bunch of people coming on board. All different kinds of types of people. There's Seth Rudeski's like a scientist. Yeah, correct. We have like a little, a little kid, but it's actually twins. And there's kind of a gag where the kid always runs off stage and then comes back and then the kid's the other twin. Yeah. That only happens a couple times. (laughs) You might have missed it if you saw this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't blink because you might miss that that bit. Who else? There's like a disco diva. She's got a dog. There's a nun. There's a nun. There's a nun who plays guitar. A couple who are madly in love with each other. And there's a couple who were madly in love with each other mm-hmm. and are reuniting. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, we're spending a lot of time on this because this is basically act one is just these characters existing. Yes, absolutely. Totally. That is very, very true because nothing actually really happens until <laughs> act two. It's in, the, it's in the 70s. So all this music is disco music. Yeah. Like the opening number is like 10 minutes long and it's just hot stuff. Um, Donna Summer's hot <laughs> yes. stuff as we meet all these characters. And then... There's a disaster. There's a disaster, exclamation mark. (laughs) (laughs) And then plot twist, people die. And then some people live. 
the end. That's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. It's a it's a parody of like 70s disaster movies right. from what I understand. Um, that's not a genre that I'm super, super familiar with. It's a parody much like Airplane, which I referenced at the beginning, is a parody of disaster movies. Right. And from what I understand, this one's especially a parody of the Poseidon Adventure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. correct. So that's disaster. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't this. I don't know what we missed. Like there's Adam Pascal from Rent. He's like a waiter. Cater waiter. He's a cater waiter. And um, Seth Rudetsky, who's like the, the big mover and shaker behind this show, is a scientist. Oh, there's the lounge singer lady who's the mom of the twins. Yes, who is the lounge singer on the cruise. She just doesn't have it together. I mean, no one does. <laughs> I think that's her storyline. It's Well, it's important that everyone know this because as we discuss, we're not going to be discussing plot or structure or anything right, because that's right, pointless. Right. We're going to be discussing this show is a series of gags. Yeah. Yes. And songs. Okay, so we got Roger Bart plays Tony, who is the, the creepy guy, right? We should do this. We have Roger mm-hmm. Bart and Roger from Rent, so we should be careful. Oh, yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then we have Marianne, who is the journalist woman who Correct. comes on board to write a uh, an article on the unsafetyness of the cruise. Yes. And then we have Chad, the waiter. Cater waiter. Cater waiter. Very important because that's a 70s thing. And they do not stop mentioning it in the Wikipedia article. <laughs> right. That's about it, right? Jill, if we wanted to license this show, what would the plot synopsis be? Okay, so I took it from Wikipedia this time because all the other ones were really long. Yeah. Like, even in the reviews of this show, <laughs> like, they're like, let's summarize the plot real quick, and then it would be like four paragraphs. Yeah. So I just pulled this from Wikipedia, and it says... The plot follows a group of New Yorkers that attend the opening of a floating casino and discotheque that quickly succumbs to multiple disasters. These calamities correlate with plots of various disaster films of the 70s, such as earthquakes or killer bee incidents. Additionally, this play keeps with a 70s theme by being a jukebox musical, using popular songs of the decade as musical numbers. So this does not go into any of the characters because I think in order to do that we have to acknowledge like how much work it is to like actually follow every single storyline yeah and this is something I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about the book so let's talk about production history and give a little bit of context for this very very bizarre piece of um of Broadway history I love it let's do it So I guess my first question is, we're, we're pretty far removed from New York in some senses, but we're all people who have worked in um, musical theater and are fans of musical theater. Mm-hmm. How were you guys aware of Seth Rudetsky before this, if at all? From YouTube videos of Obsessed, I think. Steph, what about you? Yeah, the same. Who I think is very funny in those YouTube videos. And we'll talk about how we feel about him in the show, but... Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Really quick, for those of you at home, if you're listening to this, chances are you probably already know who Seth Rudetsky is. Um, But if you don't, he's a Broadway personality who came up as a musician on Broadway and then became a personality talking, deconstructing famous Broadway songs or performances and has since just kind of become an all-around musical guru. Um, He has a radio show now. He has his YouTube show. And honestly, I think he's pretty rad. Mm. His critiques and deconstructions are intelligent without being boring. I think he's usually very informed when he's talking about things and is still entertaining. And I think that the work that he does as far as promoting Broadway as an art form is A-plus stuff. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, now that you said all those good things. Well, this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. So uh, this, this, is con- this is context for the creation of this show because this show was created initially. Seth Rudetsky was approached to create something for a non-for-profit benefit, a benefit for a not-for-profit organization. Right, right, yeah. And he was like, oh, we always used to joke. I used to joke with a buddy of mine in college about doing a musical about disaster movies. Maybe I'll take some of those ideas and pull that together. So we pulled together this series of performances for a benefit. And they were like, that was really funny. That went over really well. Let's put this up for a week off off Broadway in like a 90 seat house. Mm-hmm. And they did. And everyone was like, that was awesome. Let's put this up off Broadway and run it for a while. And they did. And everyone was like, this is great. At this point, Seth Rudetsky <laughs> is a pretty big deal. So people are coming to see the funny YouTube guy and see his show. Mm-hmm. And they were like, this is such a big success. 
let's grab all my famous Broadway buds and put it on Broadway. I mean, it's a pretty smart idea. It, it makes sense on paper. On paper, it sounds like a brilliant idea. You can't, you can't argue with it. An off-Broadway... No, sorry, an off-off-Broadway, then two off-Broadway runs. Two off-Broadway runs, totally. Yeah, one in 2012 and one in 2013. Then another benefit concert right. in 2015. So by, by 2016, Seth Rudetsky's disaster has been a pretty big part of the culture. <laughs> like, we have to assume, yes. right? It's been... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, when you word it like that, that's so funny. But yeah. Well, and he named it disaster. So it's like, it's going to be successful just because he named it disaster so if it ended up being a disaster then great mission accomplished mission accomplished (laughs) (laughs) it's a smart move it's a great move we might as well say it out loud now this is it's the kind of theater you would associate typically with dinner theater yeah yeah and so much so that it feels almost bizarre this is what i mean when i say we haven't covered anything like this on the podcast before if you were going to apply the same critical lens as we apply to apply to Bonnie and Clyde last week or something, we would say this is a pile of shit. But you can't. But you can't. That would be foolish to do that. Yeah. You can't apply the same critical lens because it's um, a different thing. That'd be like saying McDonald's sucks because it's not the keg. Right. right. Sure. That's a good point. I also have a theory about how dinner theater was invented and y'all can tell me if this sounds correct. Okay, go. <laughs> so I had a feeling that the like the person who invented dinner theater was just like hanging out outside like a theater at some point and was like... <laughs> walking around like looking for their next gig they're like oh what am i gonna do like i really have to innovate and make something good and then they they saw some people like leaving a theater and then they overheard someone say like oh if you're gonna take me to a show that bad you gotta buy me dinner first and then (laughs) and then the person was like oh that's a great idea we'll give them dinner while they watch the show so they don't even know what they're watching they're not they don't even care because they're full let's dive into disaster let's talk about the book okay so there's a lot of credits here to get through so yeah so here we go book by seth rudetsky and jack plotnik concept by seth rudetsky and drew garachi additional material by drew garachi music orchestrations arrangements and scoring by friend of the podcast joseph joubert song arrangements by seth rudetsky Vocal arrangements by Michael McElroy, dance arrangements by David Dabin, and then there's like a bunch of composers of this music because it's a jukebox show. But we can definitely talk about a few of those songs specifically to give folks an idea of what uh, the soundscape is. (laughs) But let's start with the book. Like that additional material credit, Drew Garachi there, that's Seth Rudetsky's like college bud who we made this up with. Mm -hmm. So that's why he gets that credit. And then Jack Plotnick is the um, the person who we ended up partnering with who actually brought this to fruition and directed it and everything. Yeah. Lots of cooks, let me tell you. It is a goofy book. <laughs> it's very goofy. That was a nice pause. <laughs> that was so good. I had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> okay, so Paul's adjective is goofy. Yeah. Steph, do you have an adjective for this book? Like any one word that you could use to like describe what this felt like? Oh my goodness. I mean, I would just do another like synonym of goofy. It would be like wacky. It is. Ooh, yeah. It's all very predictable too yeah. mm-hmm. in a weird way. So it's not really wacky. It's fun. I would I would say fun. fun. Oh wait, we're talking about the book. Because uh... <laughs> this is the, this is the thing. the The production is fun, but I don't know if the book does it any favors. Yeah, you're honing in on this thing. This this thing that yeah. Even though this book is one of the most original most original components of it, it's like maybe the biggest challenge of the show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. But, yes, but I also thought it was hilarious, but not always because it was supposed to be yes oh my gosh yes yeah it's like should i be laughing at this because it's genuinely written to be funny or am i laughing because like this person is trying to mine every ounce out of this line or am i laughing because it's just like what's happening beyond yeah Yeah. (laughs) and i mean ultimately i I don't think it really matters. Like, I'm sure if Seth, no, you know, that's a if good point. <laughs> whatever reason you're laughing was great, and I think actually probably was the intention of the entire musical. Like, even if you're laughing because it was just horrible at yep. at moments, <laughs> that that that's that was the goal. 
Let's talk about a few specific instances. And there's one joke right off the top where Roger Bart, as a sleazy casino owner, is really enamored <laughs> with, um, with a woman's breasts. And we were texting and we were like, oh, geez, this friggin' musical. Come on now. Let's... What do we get ourselves into here? Come on. But... But... But then... That never happened again. Exactly. That's the bizarre thing. He's always enamored by women and the prospect mm-hmm. of being with women. But that was just like, it was, it was, a, it was hot. <laughs> it was a hot joke right off the press. Right at like the first like 30 yeah. seconds of the musical. Yeah. And you're, oh, okay. So this is what it's going to be. In, in general, this book gets better as it goes along. Yeah. Okay. I disagree. Oh, really? I think it gets <laughs> I think the first act, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the second act, I'm like, like, give me my bed. I want to sleep now. Yeah. That is the polar opposite of how I felt. <laughs> yes. I love it. Also, I didn't watch it on the same day. I did act one one morning, right. act two the next morning. But act one, I was like, oh, this is like, it's got some funny bits, but it's a bit of a slog. And act two, I was like, ha, look at this. Look at it go. <laughs> oh my God. So usually when we discuss book, we've also been discussing like this way the piece is structured, book in a broader right, sense. Right. So yeah. my my pitch for why I like Act 2 better is because in Act 2, we finally get to the disasters. Of yes. course. The disasters only happen at the end of Act 1. And in Act 2, they're throwing around these mannequins as dead bodies. Someone's like stabbed on a, um, a slot machine thing and they're mm-hmm. singing a song and things like this. And this is, this is absurd and this is very bizarre and kind of gross. But it's for me, that was when it was like, it clicked in for me. And I was like, oh, that's what this show is. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is like the gross over the top show. All right, right. let's do it. This is like Evil Dead or yeah, something, yeah, you know? Yeah. But because of how long it took to get into that, I think it could be very confusing for a lot of people to try to follow that because you have to stick with this play long enough to understand who everybody is. And then you get to the disasters. So the payoff comes so late that you're just like kind of waiting and waiting. <laughs> for the thing the the other shoe to drop yeah but Steph you felt the opposite you were in for act one I was in for those characters that's the thing I think you know I'm starting to learn (laughs) this more about myself that I have I think that I have very cheap taste (laughs) I do and and really my criteria of something being entertaining is that it's funny that it has good characters or that the plot is is really great, or that it's beautiful. It mm-hmm. could be one of the the four things. Usually, the characters is number one for right. me. Like if I have good characters, then I can get through anything really. And this, so that's why you love this loved this show, and especially Act One, because mm-hmm. Act One's all character work and nothing else. Exactly. No plot, no beauty, <laughs> just character work. Just characters. I'm fine with it. And I mean, obviously, we'll get into music later, but it, it helps that the the music is so great. Well, I was going to suggest that we put the music into the book because otherwise the music's going to be like a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. Right. Because it's the yeah. best hits of the 70s, which was a great era for music. Yeah. So instead, let's discuss the music and rate it all at once because the music sure. helps the book in a huge way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the best decision this show ever made was do, being a jukebox musical. There's one thing that I want to bring up that Steph knows about me, but I don't know if our listeners know necessarily. I don't like the twins device in any like movies or um, musicals like at all. Needless to say, I wasn't super thrilled about this sweet young actor having to play twins, oh. but we'll save I'll I'll discuss this in the um in the performances section, but I think there is a potential twist for the reason they chose this kid in specific. Oh, great. Ooh, okay. Until then, though, we love the music. We don't like the twins, <laughs> but the music helps. In my opinion, the music helps the book, especially in Act 1, whenever things start to drag a little mm-hmm. long and you're like, wow, enough with the character work. They freaking throw on knock on wood or something. And I'm like, yeah. ah, yeah. Right, oh, so Okay, yeah. but also on the music topic, and this actually might be a performance topic. But I was just thinking, first thing that I did was look up the soundtrack on Apple. And the first song is obviously the act one. Hot stuff. Hot stuff. And the first thing you hear is Adam Pascal. It's so Adam Pascal (laughs) that I I was like, I love this because I love Adam Pascal. But then I just had this thought that like anyone who didn't like him Mm -hmm. or hated him, right off the 
pop. I'm like, this is enough to set someone yep. like south real fast. Yep. Yep. That's like, so true. Like, no, no, I'm not listening to this musical. Zero uh, percent gonna listen to it. I will also say, for the, these are some incredible, incredible songs. In general, the uh, the arrangements are like underwhelming at best. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's nothing nothing special going on, especially when you compare other jukebox musicals. Um, we'll talk, I'm sure, a little later on. Um, about something like We Will Rock You, which Steph Sai was in for like a year on the road, or <laughs> Mamma Mia, or... These are all shows with excellent music departments who created really cool things yeah. out, of these, um, out of these songs, out of these pop songs that were created for three-minute radio performances. They created really fascinating musical theater-style arrangements out of these songs. Um, American Idiot is another one that jumps to mind that yeah. all three of us worked on. Ameri- the arrangements on American Idiot, taking it from a pop album to musical theater is incredible. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. And, you know, these arrangements, you know, you could have popped them out in like an hour, an hour per song. You know what I mean? It really seemed that way. Like, I feel yeah. like we could count on one hand the amount of harmonies. Like, there wasn't a lot <laughs> yeah. of group singing, you know? Right? It yeah. was a lot of just like one character sings one section and then we move on. You have literally hired some of the best singers in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear some harmonies. Yeah. And then there's also that thing that that happens where they're like, they chose a song based on the first line of the song and nothing else. Yeah. Like, did you notice that happening a little bit where it would be like... Every time. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, the setup is (laughs) excellent. Like, we launch into the song and then the rest of the song's lyrics don't really match with what we were just doing. So that happened a few times. (laughs) I think it happened the entire time. <laughs> okay, thank yeah. you. I, you love going to a musical, for, for me personally, I love going to a musical that I know the music to. Absolutely. Obviously, there's, I love going to new musicals that I haven't experienced ever, but even for this podcast, I wanted to pick a musical that I knew so at least I could comment on the things that, like, uh, the songs that I knew and why I loved them or why I didn't like them. But what was great is we got this musical all of this music I grew up with because of my parents, they listened to this religiously. That's another reason why I really loved it is this this nostalgia of being able to listen to these songs arranged in a musical theater style, which is again, the most hilarious thing to me. It is so funny to me when any kind of song, any pop, rock, whatever, punk song is arranged like in a musical theater show. It is so funny to me like nothing is funnier than that adam pascal singing ending the song how do i live yeah totally <laughs> like that's how it ends like only in musical theater would yep. a song like that yep. have an ending like that all of this to say my first question to you is is knock on wood the greatest song ever written i mean it's a great song <laughs> <laughs> that's set up to that song I just, it came on at the end of act one and I was like, ah, here we go. I'm here. I'm in. Dancing around my living room. (laughs) Oh my gosh. My other question is, out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the book and the music? Oh dear. I want to say that listening to this podcast, I'm going to comment that I feel you two are incredibly generous (laughs) with your, with your ratings. (laughs) (laughs) You're always so incredibly generous. And then I always said, when I get on that podcast. He's going to tear it down. But it's hard because I actually, it's, this is very difficult because I loved the music. I absolutely love 70s disco. I just love it. I'm going to give it an eight. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Because that's how much I love the music. It just kind of outweighs everything. Yeah. Right. And, and like, if there was w- one or two clever ways to get into the song, like, bonus. Fair enough. I'm going to agree with the eight. The book is a six. And you get two extra points for the music because friggin' come on. Knock on wood, hot yeah. stuff, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Some of the best songs ever written in the 20th century. Six for the book. Add two monkeys for the music. Bringing us to an eight. Paul, do you... I'm not sure if you have said this or not. Do you like the song Knock on Wood? Like, I'm having a hard time. <laughs> like, I can't tell if you love it or hate it. I actually want to second it. that question. Yeah. I wasn't sure. <laughs> well, y'all are being so generous 
So I had originally put the book at a five and a half. And then now that we're doing it all together, (laughs) now that we're doing it all together, it's definitely like a seven and a half. Like I have to add a lot because the music, like I can't help myself. Yeah. It's like a bag of potato chips. I open it and I eat the whole thing. So yes, even if even if yeah. Adam Pascal is singing it, you know. Uh, and we're gonna talk about Mr. Pascal. For now, though, let's talk about the direction. Who directed this? This musical was directed by Jack Plotnick, and it is Jack's only Broadway credit. Um, but does lots of uh, film and TV acting and writing is my understanding. Mm. Yep. Uh, the musical director was Steve Marzullo. The choreography was by Joanne M. Hunter, uh, who was a performer and now a choreographer. And that's the that's the team. This is a tough thing again. This is maybe the last category where it's going to be that thing of, I have to judge this objectively based on what it is, not what my idea of, like, I can't, we're not, we can't judge this against parade. Mm-hmm. Right. Because this, this direction is absurd. But I think it's good, and I think it works. I like this direction. Mm-hmm. Def, what's your hot take? My hot take was um, I just didn't really understand what the vibe was supposed to be. If it, if it was supposed to be satirical, or are we like really are we really committing to these characters uh, over the top? These crazy characters, like, and when these jukebox musical songs come in do we know that we're singing them? Right. Like there was a lot of like, do funny things when it's funny, but when it's not like, take it seriously. Right. That's, uh, that's, I think that's astute. I think that's real astute. Yeah. It did seem like everyone was sort of in a different show. I do think that maybe falls to the direction in this case, because, because it was a bit, um, disjointed in that way because the scenes were quite short and happened kind of all over. It was difficult to follow at times, especially in Act 2. I think Act 1 was pretty good because it moved, Mm -hmm. you know, along nicely. But then once everything started to happen and unravel, it was like, wow, where are we even right now? Yeah. And that's so funny because I I didn't care. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. "Ah." He's got, she's gotten attacked by sharks. Ah, you're like, ah, I buy the that. Twins, yeah. They're all on a raft. Okay. <laughs> like, I think the hope is that you're pretty drunk by act two. Mm-hmm. Everything is a bit, just everything. Yeah. It's like act one, you're introduced to characters, and then act two is just bit after bit after mm-hmm. bit after bit yeah. to the point where they can't even finish more than two lines of a song because there's no room for it. There's too many bits to be Absolutely. Had. You notice that, hey, absolutely. There's almost no complete songs in Act 2. No. That's probably another reason why I didn't like it as much because yeah. uh, I was yeah. like, where are the songs at? <laughs> I've been tricked into, se- into Act 2. I bought my drinks, got real drunk. I'm back sitting on my seat and I have been duped. <laughs> I demand my money back. I demand 50% of my, my ticket back. And most people, it's the other way around. Like, at by intermission, and there's only been, like, a half of a disaster. They're like, where are all the disasters? <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> well, yeah, because if they're coming to see it because it's based off these 70s movies, mm-hmm. then they didn't get any of that. In right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it almost seems like the direction is inconsequential to this. There was one thing that I really liked, but again, I don't know if it was design or direction, but the moment where they were tossing the twin. uh, (laughs) So Lisa is a mannequin at this point. Lisa's a mannequin and then she like faints and then whatever. It's when they're about to be rescued, they go to throw her through some sort of bottom part of the ship. And then there's like a trap door situation. Like a manhole. I thought it was like a manhole or something. Yeah, yeah. And I quite liked that little trick. I did too. I agree. I also, this might again be set, the puppets I really, really loved. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I thought they were so fantastic. You know, in the best way that like, there's so many fringe shows out there that are so charming because they're putting that this, this show didn't cost a lot and really making it a known fact for the audience to relish in and to also find funny. I'm speculating, is is that one of the reasons this show is actually fun to watch, even for 
not even for us. Is this one of the reasons we enjoy watching this show so much is because we see these tricks and we've all been in this show before or all use these tricks? <laughs> yes, <laughs> like you see the yes. twin bit and you're like, ah, oh, they're doing they're doing that bit. I remember when I did that bit. There's the bit where where the um like something's going on in the ship and they put a bunch of the lights go out on four people and then lights go up on they've put four mannequins on windmills and it's like the people are spinning around getting spun around in the ship and you're yeah. like ah what a fun that's that's clever that's a fun bit to do it, it's appreciate it's appreciation right. as yeah. much as enjoyment you know what i mean <laughs> and i also think that a lot of people probably band together to yeah. make those decisions right could you imagine being in the room where people make those decisions were like, wouldn't it be funny if we did this? They're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. Like the one with the twins in the hands, even though I didn't buy this bit, I like don't doubt that a group of people had to make that decision. Yeah. Totally, totally. Out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys would you give the direction? I am going to give the direction three monkeys out of 10 playbills. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> What a twist. That's so much lower than you rated the book. I just don't know that it was directed. Is right. that yeah. that mm-hmm. that's my my note on that. It feels like it was written by Seth and then these players, these these Broadway players came in and then they did whatever the f they wanted to. Is <laughs> yeah. how I I see it. And then you know you got the three. I probably would have said two, but you get the three because the puppets came in. And the, puppets are and the director had to at least have been the person who approved of them. <laughs> I'm gonna be more. I'm gonna be a little more generous. I'm gonna say four, um, mostly because you guys have kind of convinced me. You've talked me through, and I totally agree how hard this show is to follow. Like it's, I can't. We couldn't give a plot synopsis. I couldn't tell you at all what happens in this show, unless I'm describing like bits. But that said, I really like the bits that I like. I'm a sucker for shtick, and there's so much shtick in this. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to say four. Four is my call. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I I feel conflicted because if I'm watching it, not knowing all the work that this show probably took directionally, like trying to wrangle all those superstars, that in itself would have been a task to to make everyone almost in the same show but by the same token that didn't happen (laughs) so i think it's like like a four like a four averaging out at a three and a half that's not crazy yeah it's kind of like what did what did the director do is maybe my biggest question yeah because seth wrote it but probably wanted to be in it so he's like who can i hire to kind of just take the lead on this uh, you know, he was maybe the person that was connected with all these Broadway stars and was like, hey, come on board. Mm-hmm. I need as evidence in how the earlier productions of it came. The director's job was just to set a tone. <laughs> Which he didn't do. Which he didn't right. do. So yeah. I think it's that and the fact that it was born out of these benefit performances and off-off Broadway performances. Right. Where you're like, I've seen this from the beginning. And man, it played great at this benefit where everyone was drunk and just desperately wanted some entertainment. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm not going to change it. I know it plays. I know it plays great. Yeah, totally. You're treating you're treating these weird circumstances like out-of-town tryouts, but it's not the same environment. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Should we do the choreo? Well, let's talk. If we want to talk about something that works. No, it doesn't work. Well. <laughs> okay, you know, Jill, go. I'm, that, this is what I get for speaking first. You guys are both much excellent choreos and dancers. Every time I watch a show, I'm pretty much like, oh, that was too much choreo. Like, almost every time. And this time I felt the exact opposite. Yes. Where I was like, I actually want more and almost constant choreography. (laughs) But I do want to call attention to my most favorite moment. And now I demand every show I work on to have this. A Morse code tap dance. From Faith Prince. From living legend Faith Prince. And it was so poorly danced, but I did not care. (laughs) Didn't care one bit. I loved it. I thought it was clever. I actually quite liked the music of that. So that song alone, 10 out of 10. But then we can talk about my actual rating after I hear from the two of you. Very good. That's my hot take. Steph, what's your hot take? I agree. 
agree and disagree with that. Very good. It just, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> what are we dealing with here? Let's go. Like, yeah. we need more choreo. Why did you decide on subtlety now? Why yes, is this the, the, yeah. where, where you showed restraint? <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, tone. It's like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, this is the show to do yeah. the choreo. Like, mm-hmm. that should. that's a director's job to be like, we need more choreo in that dance. I can't stand this, but I hate when choreo requires singers to do things that can't allow them to sing properly. Like gyrating movements when they're singing is just so irresponsible. It's like that choreographer needs to go to jail. Needs to go to jail. Like how dare you never ever make your singer do that. It's just so mean. And it's like so not necessary. It's like really for her big note, she has to be doing that move. Like she couldn't stop for right. a, a yep. hot second to just <laughs> sing that note. And then, okay, and it was particularly in the scene in the song Saturday Night yep. where the lounge performer yeah, is performing for the first time. Yep. She's doing all these like gyrating moves while she's singing the song. She's like, no, no, no. And then... During the ending of the song, she had all these, the ensemble dancers were doing like these kicks and these lifts in front of her. Right. And I was like, what is happening here? Why are we blocking the the star singing the star song? I don't understand. It doesn't make any Mm -hmm. sense to me. But let's not have any lifts anywhere else in the entire musical. I couldn't agree more. It's, I like irresponsible. I think that's very it's funny. Irresponsible. It's an irresponsible thing to do. Y'all have said it all. More is more is the funny, the funny thing that um, <laughs> at least has permeated the Winnipeg theater scene a lot as a, um, as a slogan. <laughs> and I, w- I wish more was more in this <laughs> as far as choreo goes. Yeah. Like if there's one relatively cheap showcase that you don't have to spend money on other than salaries. You know what I mean? You it's not a big special effects budget. It's throwing people around. Yeah. Right. Or whatever it is, like lifts and throws and, or crazy dances. That was severely missing for me, especially maybe this would have, maybe this played better off Broadway. But now that you're moving it to the Broadway stage, put up your budget, hire 10 more dancers and like have them throw each other around. I mean, in the second act, there wasn't a lot of songs for them to be dancing to, I guess. But even, you know, like choreo could be, choreo could have been used in any of those little gags. Yeah. So let's give it a rating. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys, Steph, do you give this choreo? We're going guest first all the time this time. Wow, wow, wow. Especially because she's been critical of our generosity. And I want to know, <laughs> I wanna know where she lands before yeah. I make my final I'm judgment. I'm the barometer of, how, yeah. <laughs> your, of your rating. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to give the choreo a four. Higher than the direction. Are you kidding me? Higher than the direction wow. because I believe it's the director's fault that there wasn't more <laughs> choreo in the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I disagree wholeheartedly. I go opposite <laughs> you. Direction was four for me. This is three. I think the choreo is the weakest part of this whole piece. Okay. Yep. I am so, I can't believe I am rating this higher than both of you for someone who doesn't even like this show. I don't like this show. I I wish I could get my time back, but here we are. And so I give this choreo a five. Wow. Oh my gosh. We're just fighting for lowest scores now. We're like just trying to see who's going to do the lowest. Should we talk about what it all looked like? (laughs) Absolutely. Let's talk about the design. Hi everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking a little bit earlier in the episode that I normally talk to you guys. This week, we wanted to give a special shout out to our friends over at Stageworthy Podcast. Stageworthy is a weekly podcast about Canadian theatre and the people who make it, now in its fourth year. Each week, host Paul Rickaby talks to theatre makers, actors, directors, and more about their theatre origin stories and what makes their artistic souls tick. Listen and subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts, or check out the archive of over 275 episodes at stageworthypodcast.com. There are a lot of familiar names on this design team, so here we go. Scenic design by Tobin Ost, friend of the podcast from last episode, Bonnie and Clyde and Newsies. Costume design by William Ivy Long, also friend of the podcast and friend of Broadway, 
like has literally done everything busiest costume designer totally lighting design by jeff Croyder, who did something rotten falsettos bandstand sure. and several others so has been pretty busy lately sound design by mark menard just a couple things under under his belt hair and wig design by paul huntley uh also friend of the podcast and then makeup design by ann ford coats not friend of the podcast not because we don't like her just she <laughs> doesn't really her. do much Fu- <laughs> we don't know her future yeah. friend of the podcast <laughs> yeah there we go um <laughs> they have clothes on yeah <laughs> but but sometimes they don't yeah <laughs> Producer Daff is doing like the so-so motion with her hands. Wait, yeah. I didn't even remember what happened until Daphne did that. <laughs> yeah, especially in act right. two, all the women are like doing the whole like, oh, look at my tastefully ripped yeah, that's outfit true. Totally. from the disaster. That's so true. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, hadn't even, but yeah, now that you mention it, I remember. I totally forgot about that. So the design department for this. I feel the need to really to talk about this separately, to talk about the lighting and sound design separately from the set and okay. costume design. I liked a lot of the lighting design, um, especially we had some fun bits, like I mentioned, the strobe bit where it made like everyone was bouncing around the ship. That also might fall into performance, Paul, but yeah, we can get fair to enough, that fair later. <laughs> For whatever reason, and this might be an arrangement thing, I don't know what it is with the jukebox musicals, but I can always just hear the harmony lines. Right. Why is it in the most familiar songs that you know that the harmony lines are always the loudest ones you can hear? Hot, 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 <laughs> stuff. Stop. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> and then very faintly, you've got this melody on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> always happens i don't know if the sound design thing but it just like and every jukebox musical any group number harmony line it's always the hottest this is my new favorite thing that has happened on the pod that's yeah, that's oh, fair. that is that's so very funny fair. i don't have many comments about the lighting design the sound yeah. design that's a very valid point that's something we can judge harmony lines were too hot <laughs> too hot stuff too hot hot stuff <laughs> we're dancing around this can someone just friggin say that we hate the costumes in the set Okay. Okay. So, okay. So here's the thing. Before Daphne had reminded me of the, of the horrendous things that happen at the end of act two or just Mm -hmm. all of act two. Um, I thought that the costumes were super appropriate. Mm -hmm. Sure. They're great. You know, they're super apropos of the seventies, even the colors that they use, the purples and the lime greens. Like I just thought they were so great. Uh, Mm -hmm. set, I think it was on purpose. So I can't really, they, it was appropriate for what they were doing. Uh, the lighting, I didn't even really notice. I guess it's great for yeah. how they were transitioning through the different bits that they were doing. But then, plot twist, everything starts ripping off. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, I mean, I guess a lot of the bits don't make sense, that they're literally just there to get a laugh. That something gets ripped off, and it's like, ha ha ha, the thing is ripped off. But... Mm-hmm. It didn't do anything for me. Like the twin bit, at least there was like some kind of further plot thing that it was doing yep. or something. It had some kind of purpose. But the the ripping of the dresses were just like as cheap as it gets. I feel the exact same way. And maybe that falls under, does that fall under design or does that fall under direction as well, right? Direction. That's a, that's a bad choice, Jack Posnick. Uh, minus one monkey for you. <laughs> Can we please make note on the record we would like to retroactively change that rating to minus one playbill yeah. for <laughs> promoting... I'll, I'll make a note thank of you. it. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you. Misogyny in satire is still misogyny. Did you think there were enough feathers in sequins? Because <laughs> I did not. I wanted more. And I, I honestly like did not think I would say that, but I... William Ivy Long, like, I just needed a few more feathers mm, and a few mm-hmm. more sequins. Mm-hmm. The the other thing I wondered as I'm hearing you t- or listening to the two of you talk about this is I wonder how much of this design team was part of the off-off and the off-Broadway sure. productions because I think that set-wise it played like an off-Broadway, which doesn't bother me, but in a Broadway theater setting it doesn't really read Mm -hmm. and so I'm just wondering if maybe there's something there I'm sure William Ivy Long was only a part of the Broadway production and you can tell because those costumes are like so eye-catching and vibrant right like it's right to the back of the house but I don't know I'm kind of wondering if it has something to do with that this is this big challenge I think this musical faced I watched both a Broadway sizzle and an off-Broadway sizzle reel Mm. yeah and the off-Broadway sizzle reel looks great 
I watch that and I'm like, that's the show I want to go see. Right. You can see the audience in the um, in the front row. You can hear them reacting in real time. Yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. I've kind of we've kind of been touching on this a few times now. I think that this show is a fantastic off Broadway show. They didn't consider how many changes would need to be made to have it play in. What's the Nederlander? Like 1,200 seats or something like that? Yeah, yeah something it's along friggin', those It's lines. a freaking cave. You know what I mean? It's so big. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They didn't consider how many changes would need to be made to have it play to a house that size. Yeah. Let's throw them all in one. Out of 10, where are we going? I'm going to rate this the set, costume, and lighting design five monkeys out of 10 playbooks. What? What? Maybe debatably even six. Wow. Or seven. I'm going high. Let's go high. I'm going to go, you know, wow. I'm going to go eight. <laughs> you know, we max out at 10, right? You're taking <laughs> taking like... the monkey that we took from um, Jack Posnick and giving yes. it to the set to Yes, sign. exactly. Because again, I think it's the director's fault that any of right. this is not good. Yeah. So I'm keeping my word on that. I'm giving eight to these hardworking people who just wanted to do what the director wanted them to do. I will stick with eight. I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for giving respect to the hardworking journeymen who work on shows. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say six, which is higher than I thought, because you you convinced me to add an extra. I'm going to go six. I land at a six. But now I'm so excited because I want to talk about the performances. So obviously there's a lot of folks in this show. There have been a lot of folks involved with this since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, I will not name them all, but if you would like to see the full cast list, I would encourage you to visit ibdb.com and search disaster, and then you will be able to see who is all involved. Let's go with notable, like the good ones first. Because <laughs> there's several <laughs> several Broadway celebrities. Oh, so many. Only only one. Adam Pascal is the only possible one who would be like a mainstream celebrity. And even then, only maybe. Mm, Do you think I, so? I might argue Roger Bart would be the most recognizable in terms of like mm-hmm. when you look at him. But people might not know his name the way they know Adam right. Pascal's name. That's my gut. But there's no question Roger Bart is uh, an enormous Broadway star. Mm-hmm. We got Carrie Butler. We got Adam Pascal. We got Faith Prince. And we have... Brian Luttrell's son, Bailey Luttrell. No. That's my that's my surprise for you. You're kidding me. The twins are Bailey Luttrell. Oh my god. My favorite backstreet boy. Yeah, there you go. That's a backstreet son. That is a backstreet baby boy. It's a backstreet baby boy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This changes everything. This is what I mean. Doesn't that change everything? I think everything? we should start from the beginning. Yeah, I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I also think we should mention Rachel York, seasoned Broadway vet who played Jackie, and then also Kevin Chamberlain, who's done so much stuff. There are just, it's names on names on names. There's also less names, but Jennifer Simard? Jennifer Simard <gasps> yes! plays yes. the um, plays the nun, plays Sister Mary Downey, and just destroys it left yeah. and right. So excellent. I wish everyone was in the same show that she was in. Yeah, yes. <laughs> She gets yes. it. Yeah. And is it Lacreta La Nicole plays the um the disco diva? Yeah. She does a very nice job so too. Excellent. Very nice. Really a great so voice. Good. Okay. Is it safe to say that we actually enjoyed these performances, the the people, the actors in this show? I would say that the relative unknowns like Jennifer Simard and Lacreta Nicole embarrass Roger Bart and Adam Pascal. Yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Like they should be embarrassed to be sharing the stage with these relative unknowns who are performing circles around them. Jennifer Simard, honestly, now that role is like a dream role of mine because it was just so good. Everything she did was so specific and so funny. And her voice is outrageous. It was like... It's outrageous. Yeah. You can't be that funny and that specific and then also have that kind of voice. It just, it blew my mind. She blew my mind. Yeah. yeah. Adam Pascal, on the other hand, looks like he needs to get some sleep. And drink some water. He looks so sleepy. <laughs> like, so dehydrated. Like, it's this weird thing right, where he's he, he was a rocker, and um, they scooped him up for rent, and he felt really weird performing. And since then, he's been like, no, Broadway, this is it. This is where it's at for me. You know, he sings Can't Live, which is amazing. Again, I just loved, I loved the rendition of that song. But then I watched it and was like, what's happening here? This is just... Ridiculous. 
It's like, why is he, why did he say yes to this? Because he clearly doesn't get it. Yeah. Right. He clearly doesn't understand this show. He was super out of place. Very, very out of place. Roger Bart is one of the other two performances in this that I really take issue with. Mm. Well, maybe like, maybe I had a bad taste in my mouth from the gross, the gross joke at the beginning, but I just think he doesn't, he either doesn't go hard enough on like the greasiness or doesn't camp it up enough to be a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's freaking Roger Bart. He's over the top. Let's see it. Again, coming back to blame the director. That character, Tony, was was so normal. Like, mm-hmm. just not yeah. normal, but just very, like, actually could have been this creepy person, j- creepy guy, like, mm-hmm. you know, just in our everyday lives. It wasn't heightened in any way, mm-hmm. whereas everybody else had that, like, flavor of, like, they they all had that, like, heightened personality, and it felt like, like Tony's character and... Adam Pascal's Chad was very much like, are you like, what world are you guys in? Yeah. Cause it's not, cause it's not what everybody else is in. So a few more honorable mentions before we talk about the Seth Rudetsky in the room. Carrie Butler. Sounds great. As always yes. surprising. No one. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I really like her. Me too. Her sound is super pleasing and there's an ease to it. That's very um, pleasing to the ear. Mm-hmm. Faith Prince is very fun to watch. Um, you know, it's obvious she's not incredibly comfortable on stage, but there's, you're like, ah, Faith Prince is in this. Yeah, That's fun. Totally. Well, that made me happy at least. I really want to get to, in my opinion, the real wink, weak link of this cast and the real disaster in this show, which is poor Mr. Seth Rudetsky. Well, let's get to it then. I'm glad we said I like Seth Rudetsky before, and I don't want to, I think what he's done for Broadway media, like a similar thing to what we're doing here is great. Mm-hmm. You guys, he's real bad in this. I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know how he goes from this amazing personality as a, just like, uh, like as himself. Charming and he's engaging. Yeah. He's so good and so funny. I just don't understand how that happens. That the, the transition onto a scripted role that's not him is this <laughs> bad. How would you make, because sure, this is Seth Rudetsky's disaster. Seth Rudetsky needs to be in it. But why? Why does he have to be in it, though? Well, there we go. Maybe maybe he doesn't. I assumed he did because it's Seth Rudetsky's disaster. Yeah, like he created it, but I don't think he, he necessarily needed to be in it. So if you're a tourist and you've watched all the, um, you've watched all the uh, Obsessed videos and you go to see, you're going to want to see Seth Rudetsky. Mm. Or maybe not. You don't think so. No. I don't have any uh, specific feelings about seeing a a person like him because like he doesn't come to the front of my mind when I'm thinking about performers I'd be dying to see even though he's like a very um involved person in that community he's not a person that I have on my wish list to like see perform if you want to see Seth Rudetsky you're going to see a talk or something or, yep, a, or a, cabaret, a show a cabaret yeah like totally that. yeah where he is like Steph said himself I buy my tickets for the talkback night. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's what I want. Because like, he's just he's not an actor. So why would I go to a musical expecting him to be acting? Right. Yeah. yeah. So out of 10 playbills, how many monkeys are we giving these performances? So I'm going to give the cast, the performances, a... Nine monkeys out of ten playbills. Ooh. Because I will say that no matter what, it's always the toughest to be out there performing the stuff. So regardless of if I thought it was good or bad, that's the hardest job. They put themselves out there, man. Yeah. But but also also because I'm rating my 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 loves for Rachel York and Jennifer Simard and and like all of the stronger performances. I'm gonna go a little lower. I'm gonna give a seven. I'm I'm at about an eight, eight and a half for the performances because I think the good ones really elevate the the medium ones because it's not necessarily that they're just bad. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. true. I agree. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. I'm good with that. And to include the ensemble members in that as well because I was watching the ensemble members and there's dances that they do have to do are really great and they do a good job. They're working their asses off. Yeah. And they don't make fun of it. That's my, that's always my thing. I'm yes, like, are you making yes. fun of this or are you in it? And they were in it. They're in it to win mm-hmm. it, yeah. Y'all, should this be a musical? Yes, but you gotta buy me dinner first. <laughs> <laughs> or at the same time. 
I, I agree. Yes, I think there's a place for this uh, for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's fun. I think that on a conceptual level, this concept is strong and it has legs. Yeah. Mm. Steph. Steph. <laughs> yes, but you have to buy me dinner. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is 2016. What's going on in 2016? Oh, not much. Just Hamilton and Waitress. <laughs> oh, was that that year? Are you serious? This is the year. Okay. And like Color Purple Revival? Color Purple Revival. She Loves Me Revival. Like this is another year that to me, I think some things got missed because uh, Hamilton was finally in its eligible Tony year. And so was Waitress. And both of those just ended up being like sweeps, essentially. And then, of course, the revivals um, were amazing as well. That was the Spring Awakening revival. Oh, the Deaf West. The Deaf West production. Yeah. Color Purple Fiddler was on at that same time as well. Anyway, it was just an amazing year, but also the year of American Psycho and Disaster. What a wild year. I would encourage everyone to look up this Tony year because once you wade through the Hamilton and Waitress stuff, there's actually a lot of like exciting theater that happened around the same time. So Disaster did get one nomination, a well-earned nom. Steph, do you know which one it was? Yeah. Which one was it? It was for Best Featured Actress, Jennifer Smard. Yeah. Oh, the good. Queen. The queen of all queens. Very well-deserved. Which is pretty wild for her to even be nominated. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder they didn't get more. How something like this can play against this season? Oh, I know. Unless I'm um, unless I'm misremembering the timeline, the Tony noms came down. They posted closing like the same day. Oh, they must have because they closed early May, and noms usually go out around that time. Like it was like they were holding on specifically to see what the noms would be like, and as soon as they were nothing, they posted closing. That's really Aww. sad. Yeah. But anyway, it's a wild Tony year, an exciting Tony year. No wonder I missed disaster. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, yeah. And Disaster did not perform, in case you were wondering. But if they did, what number would they have done? <laughs> Excellent Great question. question. The Morse code number. <laughs> I knew no, it. knock on wood. Knock on wood. <laughs> okay, probably. <laughs> the Morse code number is just for me. <laughs> it's that time of the evening when we have to make a choice. We have three choices. Three choices stand before us. This is just, this is the way it has to be. Is Disaster on Broadway a flop? Is it a secret bop or do we need to make it stop? Paul, why don't you go first? I think this is a secret bop. Oh. I don't think this show was right for Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I think they made a lot of mistakes having it on Broadway, but the show itself I think is fun and dumb and the right production <laughs> could be a friggin' blast and I'd like to work on it. And by your logic, I actually agree in the sense that I don't want it to not exist. Like, I don't think it's that bad. I, yeah, I don't think it's a make it stop. I don't know if I'm in the full bop camp, but this Broadway production was a flop. Yep, totally. This Broadway production is a flop. But the show feels like a bop. Okay, Steph, go for it. Well, I knew what my answer was coming into this podcast, and this is a secret bop. <laughs> secret bop! Yes, I agree. Uh, I absolutely agree. It absolutely is. And also, there's just so many entertaining aspects of the show. It's super funny. It's super campy. That's the word. Campy to just... That is my one word. Campy. And we have... uh, There's room for that in this industry. Absolutely. And I think that it would make an amazing high school production. I truly, truly do. You know, even Tony's character is not completely gross. And there's a way to kind of like class that up. They could, you know, they could do so many different things with it. And, And I also think it would be a great production for The Fringe. It should be a lawyer show or a dentist show. Yep, 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 yep. I completely agree. Just looking at these stats right now, with the attendance that they were getting on Broadway each week, they would have been selling out the biggest off-Broadway houses in New York, just for what it's worth. And they were playing to 50% capacity. I think that tells us something, you know? Jill, can we talk you into Secret Bop? (laughs) Um, Off-Broadway Bop. Off-Broadway Bop. Great. That you can talk me into. We did it. We did the thing. Stephanie Sai, Jillian Willems, this has been, I don't even know what to say, like old times and like new times and just the best thing in the world. What a joy it was to spend some time with you to, to have you kind of talk me into 
this type of show. I appreciate that. It's why I'm friends with folks who are opposite me, right? Who have cheap taste. <laughs> Was that the subtext? Stephanie Sai, is there, is there anything we can shout out for you? Uh, currently, I am working on a show called Post-Democracy by Hannah Moscovich at Prairie Theatre Exchange. And we are in rehearsals right now uh, and are going to be filming the production uh, at the beginning of March. And it's going to be available for people to view in April. Those specific dates are April 8th to the 25th. Woo! Yeah, you can find tickets online at Prairie Theatre Exchange's website. That's so rad. I can't wait to see so it. So exciting. That's so incredible. As well, Village Conservatory for Music Theatre, who uh, produces this podcast, is also working on a project where 14 of our students have created five-minute pieces. We're filming them, releasing them. That'll be at the end of March. So y'all should follow the Village Conservatory social media for more. Also, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, shout us out, interact with us. We love to talk with our fans, with people who are listening. <laughs> Let us know how you're doing. Oh, what a joy. What a joy. Hi, everyone. This is producer Daphne speaking. Thank you all so much for listening to Monkeys and Playbills, the show where we take a look at Broadway musicals that had 100 performances or fewer before closing. To learn more about the show, you can follow us on Instagram at monkeysandplaybillspod, on Twitter at monkeyplaybills, or email us at monkeysandplaybillspod at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash monkeysandplaybills. Monkeys and Playbills is proud to be a Village Conservatory for Music Theatre podcast. Original music for the show is provided by Paul DeGers, and the show is produced and edited by Daphne Finlayson. So thank you all so much for listening and for all of the support that you've shown us so far. So we're going to be doing things a little bit differently next week. As you will have heard from our team during this podcast, we are bonkers busy, actually, which is a really nice feeling for a change as a couple of arts workers who have been out of work in some capacity or another since March 2020. We're excited to show you what we got for some bonus content and to also help cross a few more shows off our list, especially the ones that are bonkers old and therefore predate YouTube and bootleg culture. So stick around. We'll show you what we got next week with... Revive or die. <laughs>